0: Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you again for giving us your word. We confess your word as beautiful, glorious, alive, mighty. And <laughs> We praise you, Lord, that we get to not only weekly come together and, and meditate on your word together, but, but even daily, Lord, even having our own Bibles, God, you allow us to come to your word day in and day out. And God, I pray that you would protect us from that sinful tendency to take it for granted, and to be numb towards God-breathed words, your God-breathed words, Please, Lord, protect us from that. Lord, open our eyes to truth here as we meditate on Genesis 26 together. Open our eyes to beautiful truth that moves us to places of worship, God, and moves us to places of obedience and trust in You, Lord, and faith in You. God, I pray that You would move us by Your Word this morning. Lord, You said that those whom You foreknew You also predestined to be conformed into the image of your Son. Lord, do that with us today. Please conform us into the image of Christ. We're your church. We belong to you. We're not our own. We belong to you. You're our King. We want to go where you go, Lord, and go where you lead us. Lead us, Lord, by your Word. Lord, like Israel looking at that cloud by day and that fire by night, God, lead us by Your Word. Lord, we come with joy and rest in You, Lord, and we come with, we come with fear and trembling. at these words help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a few things before we get to our passage in Genesis 26. Just a few things. Introductory information. Uh, Number one, I want to mention this. The the promise that runs throughout Genesis could be uh, categorized like this. A seed promise and a land promise. Literally, this seed promise and this land promise given to Abraham literally runs throughout the whole book of Genesis. So go with me to Genesis Chapter 12, hold your place in Genesis 26 and go back to Genesis chapter 12. I want you to see it clearly. seed promise and the land promise. Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Try to see it with me. See the seed promise and the land promise. Here we go. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So try to hear that. Abraham leave your home, go to this land I'm telling you to go to, and I'm going to make of you and your family a great nation. And listen, in you, or as it's going to say in Genesis 26, as it's repeated today, in your offspring, in your seed, all nations, all the families of the earth, all nations will be blessed. And we know, we know from the New Testament, Galatians 3.8, that's called gospel. That's called good news, because this is speaking about through Abraham, and that nation that comes from Abraham is going to come a Savior, a Messiah, that all nations will be able to put their hope in, and there'll be a remnant from every nation, tribe, and tongue that calls Christ Lord, and comes under His authority, and are His people. So there's coming a Messiah, it's a seed promise, an offspring promise. Abraham must have a child, and that child's going to have a child, and that child is going to have children and on and on until there's a nation. And through that nation is coming a Christ. It's a beautiful seed promise about the coming Messiah. Runs throughout Genesis. Now, the land promise look at verse 6. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Mare. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So, this is the land that God brought them to. Leave your home, come to this land. He's in the land. And, and, and when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land. Oh, excuse me, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Seed promise. Through your offspring's coming a nation, and through them a Messiah, the Christ. And a land promise. I'm going, to give, I'm going to give your people this land. Now, that seed promise, land promise is repeated again in Genesis 15. We won't read it, but you see Abraham literally asking questions about these two promises. God, I don't have... Well, I'm married, my wife can't have a child. How am I going to have offspring in order to fulfill this seed promise? Right? And That's in Genesis 15. And then he also, in Genesis 15, says, says, God, how will I know? How do I know that I will inherit this land so he's asking questions in genesis 15 about seed promise land promise and god is confirming that these are promises from him to abraham and his family you go to genesis 17 you see the exact same thing that there's there's this seed promise reaffirmed there's a land promise reaffirmed and there's a sign attached to it circumcision this sign ...of the covenant, the son of the promises. so this is Abraham, and he has this child Isaac. And that's where we're at in Genesis. We're reading the story about Isaac, and the promise is passed on to Isaac. And so we get details about the seed promise in Genesis 24 and 25, where this Isaac, this son, if the seed promise is coming through him, then he needs a wife and he needs a child. Well, Genesis 24 is how he gets a wife, and Genesis 25 is how he gets a son... Then we get to Genesis 26, where we are today, and there's a focus on the land promise. The scripture's about Isaac in the land, a famine hits in the land, And uh, fighting over uh, wells in the land, and water rights in the land, and temptations to leave the land. Genesis 24, 25, the seed promise and Isaac. Genesis 26, where we're at today, the land promise in Isaac. So I want you to think about that. Let that be introductory information. Think about a seed promise in a land promise, as we get ready to read Genesis 26 in just a moment. Now, the second thing I want you to know as we get ready to read this passage is I want you to have your eyes peeled for some amazing similarities between Abraham and Isaac. Genesis 26, it's literally like, like Abraham's life is being repeated in Isaac. Isaac's like, Abraham 2.0, it's it's, uh, it's happening again. There's amazing repetition, amazing similarities between Abraham and Isaac. Now, I want you to think about how much that gets our attention, right? So coincidental, you know, repetition or similarities or something like that happens, that gets our attention. I had a situation years back where I was working for Mississippi Sports Medicine, and, and my boss told me there's this other guy, so me and him both, Work for Mississippi Sports Medicine. Already there's some similarity there. We both work for Mississippi Sports Medicine. And my boss says, this guy reminds me so much of you. You have got to meet him. So we get lunch one day. We're sitting down in a Mexican restaurant. We're getting lunch. What's your name? My name's Brian. My name's Ron, Nice to meet you. We start talking a little more. He's got three kids. I got three kids. How old are they? Same age. <laughs> Same age kids keep talking a little bit, you homeschool? I homeschool too. You're a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian too. When were you saved? I was 20 years old. I was saved when I was 20 years old. And so being, you know, the deep intellectual man I am, I look him right in the eye and I say, what's your shoe size? (laughs) And his foot was bigger, so the similarity stopped right there. So that was it. But but still, it's just this coincidental repetition, and yet it it, it interests us. It's interesting. It gets our attention. What's going on? Now, extreme repetition really gets our attention, right? You're playing a poker game, and somebody keeps getting this amazing hand and winning over and over and over again. What's an amazing hand? Royal Flush? Did I make that up, or is that real? Royal Flush? I see the poker players in the room. So, so, you know, he just keeps getting a royal flush over and over again, right? So, so, so you, you, all of a sudden you're suspicious. Something, this is a kind of repetition that's getting my attention. Something's not right here. What's going on here? And so it gets your attention. And so what I want to tell you is between Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 26, there is extreme Repetition. God is getting our attention by looking at Abraham's life and why in the world is all this stuff repeating itself in Isaac's life? You're going to see that as we read through it. Just to give you a little bit, both of them received the seed promise. God promised them the seed promise. And yet they both had a barren wife. Isn't that interesting? A promise about your offspring, but then God gives them a barren wife. Both of them wait for many, many years until God fulfills the promise and they have a son. Both of them were given, Abraham and Isaac are given a land promise and then a barren land. Can you imagine that? Hey, this is the land I'll promise you. And it says in Genesis 12, then there was a famine in the land. And it's going to say in Genesis 26, then there was a famine in the land. And you could go on and on with these similarities that are here. And what I want you to see is that it's purposeful. That God's doing it on purpose. In fact, in Genesis 26, which is about Isaac, Abraham's name, Abraham's life is referred to eight times. Over and over again referring. He wants you to see this similarity, this repetition between Abraham and Isaac. It's meant to get our attention. And so so what we should be thinking about is as, as God lays out history according to his will, and as the Holy Spirit lays out the scripture records that history according to his will, what is God trying to communicate to us in this repetition, in this similarities we see between Abraham and Isaac? So let's begin to look into the passage. We're in chapter 26. We're going to read verse 1 through 5. Now, again, right before we read that, I want you to think. Remember Abraham. Brothers and sisters, remember Abraham. Remember remember Genesis 12? Do You remember when he received these promises just read it a moment ago. He's brought out of his land. He's given this seed promise. He's given this land promise. God brings him into this strange land that he promises and then famine. What? Uh, he brings him to the land and then, and then there's a famine in the land. And so Abraham leaves the land and goes towards Egypt. Genesis 12. And notice the similarities. Look at 26. Let's read verse 1 through 5. Now, There was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So think about what's here. Do you see the similarities? It starts off, it says, now there was a famine in the land. Exact same phrase in Genesis 12. Now there was a famine in the land. Abraham gets established in the land, famine. Isaac gets established in the story, famine. Same thing. Isaac flees towards Egypt. Now God stops him in the land of the Philistines. God stops him in Gerar and tells him, don't go to Egypt. So he's moving toward Egypt, just like his father Abraham. And yet, God stops him here. And God... Reaffirms the promises. So you, you, you think about the similarities between those promises we read in Genesis 12, and what we just read, God promising to Isaac, same promise, seed promise, in your seed all nations of the earth shall be blessed. Land promise, I'm going to give your offspring these lands. Now, um, just thinking about this famine thing, right? So, so seed promise to Abraham, barren wife. Why would you do that, Lord? Uh, seed promise to Isaac, uh, bear and wife. If you give me a seed promise. I have to have children. So I have to have a wife that, that can have children. Have, and that's how it works. And yet God gives seed promise, seed promise, bear and wife. Um, land promised Abraham, there's a famine in the land. Can you imagine that? I leave all my home, leave everything that I know. I come to this land. You told me to come to God, famine. Isaac, same thing. Land promise is given, and yet it's carried on to him, and yet there's a famine in the land. Why does God do this? Why does God do things like this? If he's given a seed promise, it shouldn't be a barren wife. If he's given a land promise, it shouldn't be a barren land, right? Why does he give barrenness like this attached to to these promises? Think about his control over the famine. God's in control of that. God didn't call Abraham out into the land and go, oh man, I didn't know a famine was coming. Right? Think about his control over fertility. He knows. God knows. He controls the womb. He controls the world. He controls it all. He controls the famine. He controls controls fertility. All these things. So why why does God do this? Give the promise. Here's the promise and then trial. Here's the promise and then hardship. Here's the promise, and then things that make you doubt the promise come along. Why? Because God is a God who tests our faith. That's what He does. And we need to to come to that conclusion that our God is a God who tests faith. He wants to get us to a place of proven faith before Him. Our God is a God that tests faith. 1 Peter 1.6 has this phrase, The proven faith genuineness of your faith. And it's connected to trials and many tribulations. you got all these trials and tribulations so that the tested genuineness of your faith might be to the praise and glory of God. Our God does that. So brothers and sisters in Christ, do you, have you seen something recently in God's word? Have you been reminded of some promise? Well, listen to me. Get ready. Our God is a God that will test your faith. He will put the famine to your faith. He'll test your belief with barrenness. It's what he does. And it's for your good. It's for proven genuineness of your faith. And you think about Abraham and Isaac. It makes so much sense that they would go to Egypt, right? So here they are. They're in this land. There's a famine here. It's a big deal. I don't want to starve. I do want a famine to starve. Here we are. We're in this famine. It makes sense to go to Egypt. It's logical to go to Egypt. The Nile River's there, this master city. This is where people run to when there's a famine so they can have sustenance. So it logically makes sense, go to Egypt. And yet, the logical step is not always a step of faith. It's not always a step of faith. And so God tells them here, I want you to stay. I want you to stay right here in this land. I know that the verses I'm about to read to you, when it's talking about going back to Egypt, is not the same time period. But there's this picture of Egypt kind of you know, going back, going back to Egypt. You see this all throughout the Scripture. And listen to this in Isaiah, speaking about a faith in God, a trust in God, not in Egypt, trust in the Lord, not in Egypt. Listen to Isaiah 30, verse 1. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, who make an alliance, but not of my spirit that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking my direction to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh. But God is my refuge. Don't take refuge in the protection. I know it's logical. I know it makes sense. But trust the Lord. Listen to Isaiah 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they're many and in horsemen because they're very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Here's this beautiful picture for us of trusting God, that God's going to put the famine to to your faith, barrenness to your belief, and there's going to be moments where the logical answer, which seems logical to the world, is not the step of faith. God says, Isaac, stay here. Don't go to Egypt. I know there's a famine in the land. Stay here. Trust me. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but our trust is in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 20, verse 7. Trust in God. So brothers and sisters in Christ, is your faith being tested right now? Is your faith being tested? I would encourage you, trust in the Lord. Stand on his word and trust him. All right, this next section, Genesis 26, verse 6 through 11. Now again, before we read this, I want to say, y'all remember remember Abraham, okay? Don't forget about Abraham. Remember Abraham? Uh, Actually twice, Genesis 12 still and Genesis 21. uh, Because of fear, here's Abraham in the foreign land in Egypt and another time he's in the Land of the Philistines, and there's Abraham, and he lies, and he says that Sarah is not his wife, but Sarah is his sister. Why? He was afraid. He's afraid they'd kill him for his beautiful wife. Remember that with Abraham. You remember when that happened. And he eventually, now God protected them in that situation, and eventually Abraham was rebuked by a pagan king. You remember that situation with Abraham. Now look at this in verse in Isaac's life, verse six. So Isaac settled in Gerar, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife, So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Well, Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So, so what, what do we see here? Isaac remains in Gerar. So, so this is an act, and the very first phrase there, it's an act of faith, it's an act of obedience. God said don't go to Egypt, so he didn't go. He's being a man of faith. He stays in Gerar. But then, like us all, Isaac is a work in progress. And it says he let fear get the best of him here. Look at verse 7 where it says, Right there in the middle of verse 7, for he feared to say, my wife. So he lies about his wife based off fear, much like Abraham did. Now, it says that he selfishly lied. Why does it say he lied? When he asked about it, he's afraid, he's fearful, and he's lying because they might kill me. It's a selfish lie. They might kill me. It says about Isaac here in this passage. But Abimelech looks out a window one day, and he sees them interacting in some way. This says, wait a minute, that ain't brother and sister. That's husband and wife. And he confronts them, and Abimelech, this pagan king, ends up rebuking rebuking Isaac, just like in Genesis 21, Abimelech rebuked Abraham. King of Egypt in Genesis 12 rebuked Abraham. So what we see here, the man of faith falls to fear. He falls to fear, according to verse 7. So brothers and sisters in Christ... Please beware of fear. Fear dishonors God. Is he not trustworthy? What are you afraid of? Don't you know how trustworthy and massive and powerful and all controlling this God is? What are you afraid of? Sinful fear. It dishonors God. And it causes you to make very sinful and stupid decisions as Isaac did here. Now how do you fight fear? You fight fear with faith. Faith And fear cannot coexist, okay? If I'm trusting in the living God, it does away with my fears. Let me say it in a more boots on the ground kind of way. How do you fight these sinful fears? How do you do that? You do it with this. But God said. It's the but God said fight. This temptation to fear comes, and I go, but God said, and I I, I put a promise right there. I feel this fear coming on, I say, but God said, and I run to His Word, and every time the fear comes, I say, but God said, but God said, but God said, run into His Word to believe, to trust. When the famine comes and fear comes, when whatever happens, battles come and fear comes, but God said, now trust Him at His word. This is the fight of faith. That's how you fight back fear. And I want you to notice God's grace in the midst of Isaac's failure. Notice God's grace here. So, So a pagan king rebukes Isaac, and then the pagan king's response is not to kill the man, But rather, look at at verse verse 11. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Man, a death penalty just got put out for anybody that tries to harm or molest this couple. (laughs) So God's protecting him. God's grace in the midst of Isaac's failure. God's watching out for him. God's protecting him even when he's not protecting himself. It's a beautiful thing to be... Astonished at God's grace in the midst of our failures. Now, next section here. It's kind of you know I want to I want to read a couple different sections here in chapter twenty six, starting in verse twelve. Now, before I do that, remember Abraham. Remember Abraham, Genesis chapter twelve. He he's in the promised land and he's specifically in Bethel, and he leaves Bethel because of the famine. He goes to a foreign land, and he becomes extremely wealthy in the foreign land. And then the pagan king boots him out, and he goes right back. God takes him right back to where, to where he came from, back to Bethel. And when he gets there, it says that he builds an altar, and he calls on the name of the Lord. Think about those two things. He builds an altar, and he calls on the name of the Lord. He left left Bethel because of a famine, got wealthy in a pagan land, went back to where he came from in Bethel, built an altar, and this phrase, called on the name of the Lord. Now we're going to see the same thing here with Isaac. Isaac is going to leave, he's in the promised land, he's going to leave Beersheba, go to this foreign land, he's going to, we're going to read it, he's going to get extremely wealthy in this, in this foreign land, The pagan king is going to boot him out. He's going to go right back to Beersheba from where he came. He's going to build an altar and call on the name of the Lord. It's a beautiful repetition. Let's read it. Look at verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very rich wealthy he had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father and Abimelech said to Isaac go away from us for you're much mightier than we okay You see that? He went to a foreign land, got really wealthy, booted out by the pagan king. And we're going to come back to verse 17, but he's fighting over water rights. And every every battle he gets in, starting in verse 17, moves him closer and closer and closer back to where God wants him from where he came from, Beersheba. And so you see it here in verse 23. Pick it up in verse 23. From there he went to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. Pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug, dug a well. So if you remember what happened to Abraham, do you see the similarities here? You see these similarities. Now, uh, this section, we see God's grace to the undeserving again. Here's this man that doesn't deserve it, and yet he's, it says he, he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. That's unheard of, especially in a famine. He's in the midst of a famine, and it says he reaps a hundredfold. God's just showing grace to the, to the undeserving. He becomes so mighty that the Philistines become envious, and they become intimidated, and the king of the Philistines removes them from, from his area. God appears to him. See, in verse 24, God appears to him. And instead, instead of saying, Isaac, you idiot, why are you afraid? Why'd you do that thing you did where you lied about it? Instead of doing that, in verse 24, we see it. God says, I'm the God of Abraham. He reminds him of the promise. I'm the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, Abraham. Fear not. Think about the grace here. For I'm with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Think about God's grace to the undeserving. And it shouldn't be very hard at all for us to apply this to our lives. Right? Here we are, undeserving. Very, very undeserving, even ill-deserving before God. And God shows grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Now, there's a pattern here that I want you to see it. it, it conti- okay, uh, it, it's all through the Bible, and it continues right here in Isaac's life. Okay, there's a pattern. I want, you to, I want you to notice this pattern, and it's this pattern throughout the Bible of this phrase, fruitfulness in the land of affliction. That's, that's the pattern. Fruitfulness in the land of affliction. Let me try to explain that think about Abraham he's in the promised land he must Abraham leaves the promised land it's a pattern he leaves the promised land due to famine he goes to Egypt and there in the land of his affliction prosperity he's fruitful in the land of his affliction he's he's there in the foreign land in Egypt and he gets extremely wealthy and then he goes back to the Promised Land. he's fruitful as he looks at his prosperity in the land of affliction. That's Abraham. You come to Isaac here. Again, Isaac's got to leave the... He's, he's on his way out of the promised land before God stops him. He's on his way out. He leaves Beersheba because of the famine. And he gets in this foreign land, and he see And, and what does he gain? Prosperity. He, he prospers in that land. He's prosperous in his land of affliction. He's fruitful in the land of affliction. It happens here with Abraham and then with Isaac, and then you can keep going. Isaac has a son named Jacob, and we're going to see this, that Jacob's going to leave the promised land. Remember that? He leaves the promised land. He's scared of Esau. He leaves, he leaves the promised land, and he, he's, in that, he's in the land of affliction, and offspring comes, and prosperity comes. So he has offspring, has children galore, he has, he has uh, uh Prosperity galore and he's fruitful in the land of his affliction. Jacob is. Before he goes back to the promised land. We see it in Joseph. Jacob has a son named Joseph. Joseph leaves the promised land. He's treated like a criminal. Treated like a slave as he leaves the promised land and goes to Egypt in this land of affliction. He's treated like a criminal, like a slave. And then he's raised up as a prince at the right hand. Of the king and God and, and he says this in genesis forty one fifty two he says God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction God has made me fruitful Genesis Forty-one, fifty-two. he's made me fruitful. He sees his prosperity, his children. He, uh, he, he sees the, the, uh, uh, the offspring, I mean, and his prosperity. And he says "A fruitful. He sees he's fruitful in the land of his affliction. You keep going. That's in Genesis. You can go into Exodus, and we see the same thing with the people of Israel. Exodus chapter 1. These people were driven out of the promised land because of famine. The people of Israel, remember it? Driven out of promised land because of famine into Egypt and Goshen and that area. And they're so fruitful in the land of affliction, offspring and prosperity, that the enemies, the Egyptians there, begin to oppress them in Exodus chapter 1. These people are fruitful in the land of their affliction. This pattern just keeps going and going and going until you get to the Messiah who comes through the people of Israel, that the Messiah was fruitful in his land of affliction. Think about it, that Christ Son of God incarnate, left the promised land to come to his land of affliction. And what does he do? Isaiah chapter 53, listen to this. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed when he came to his land of affliction. He was oppressed, Jesus, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So He opened not His mouth. There He is in the land of affliction. Speaking about Christ, look at verse 10. Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. That Jesus comes to the land of affliction. The Son of God takes on flesh. Son of God incarnate in the land of affliction. And it says He was crushed by the Lord. And He goes to the cross And He takes our crushing onto Himself. He takes our punishment onto Himself. It was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He has put Him to grief. When His soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see His offspring. He shall prolong His days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. The Christ was fruitful in the land of his affliction. Christians around the room, you're part of the offspring. You're part of the fruitfulness of Christ in his land of affliction. And We see it all the way through God's word here. Now I want to go to the next section. The next section here in Genesis 26. Now, again, before I read this, remember Abraham. Remember Abraham. Like Isaac, as we're about to read, Abraham contended with the Philistines over wells and over water rights. And one day, Abimelech, this is in Abraham's life now, Abimelech seems to be some sort of a title of the king, kind of like many Caesars or many pharaohs, Abimelech. Not necessarily the same guy, but still a Philistine king. And, and, and it says that one day Abimelech comes to Abraham, now, we're not normally very familiar with this, so let's go read it. Go to Genesis 21 real quick. Because I want you to see these similarities. It's really incredible. It really is. So, Genesis 21, the Philistine king is going to try to enter into a covenant with Abraham. 21 verse 22, look at this. At that time... Abimelech. Now remember, this is Abraham's life, not Isaac. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army. Remember those two names. Store those in the back of your mind. Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity But as I've dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you've sojourned. And Abraham said, I'll swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water, so, you know, store that away in your mind. You know, he's arguing over these wells of water as well. He reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servant had seized. Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did you did not tell me, and I've not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Enter into a covenant. Abraham set seven oolams of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven these seven you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Still arguing over these wells. Therefore, that place was called, and store this away in your mind, that place was called, where that covenant happened between Abraham and Abimelech, it was called Beersheba. Beersheba. Because there both of them swore an oath, so they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, and Abraham sojourned many days in the land of The Philistines. So keep keep those things in your mind. Now go to Genesis 26. Genesis 26. I'm actually going to start back on what we read a minute ago. Verse 14. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants. Now we're talking about Isaac. So that the Philistines envied him. Verse 16. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you're much mightier than we verse 17, you're seeing similarity here. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a wellspring of water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water's ours he called the name of the well Isak, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sidna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there, he went up to Beersheba. So just like in Abraham's life with the Philistines, there's this argument over wells and water rights in the land. Isaac's doing the same thing. And every time there's this contention, he moves on to another well, and another contention, move on to another well, and God's slowly moving him back to where he wants him, where he began in Beersheba. So there he is. He's in Beersheba. Let's keep reading here. Verse 26. When Abimelech went to him, verse 26, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar, with Ahusath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army. Sound familiar? They go to him. They go to Isaac now. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, (coughs) Listen how similar this is to what they said to Abraham. We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm. Just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace, you're now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early, exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came, just so happened, same day Isaac's servants came, told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we found water. He called it Sheba, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Isn't that interesting? Beersheba with Abraham, at the end of the covenant, call it Beersheba. end of the covenant with Abimelech and Phicol, call it, call it Beersheba. And so there's this extreme... Repetition, this, these amazing similarities as I was talking about at the very beginning, and we've been talking about the whole time, between Abraham and Isaac. Now, these things are meant by God, by God's design. They're meant to get our attention. Why are these similarities there? Why are these repetitions there? And I said that earlier, and, and we need to ask, what, what is God intending to communicate to us by this repetition? What's God want to communicate here? And we, we finally need to answer that question, think about this. As God designs history, making the situations with Abraham and the situations with Isaac line up so perfectly, as the Holy Spirit records that history in Scripture and allows us to see these obvious similarities and repetitions sitting right before us, what does God want us to see? And number one, most basically what God wants us to see is that Isaac is the heir of the promise. It's just the most basic thing you need to see here. Isaac is the heir of the promise. The promise was given to Abraham, but the, the promised seed, that promise to Abraham, the promised seed is coming through Abraham and then through Isaac and then Jacob and then Judah Skip some generations through David, through Solomon, skip some generations. The Christ comes, Jesus comes, He is that promised seed. these repetitions remind us of this, that, that He really is the heir. He really is the heir of the promise. And just because that's what we need to see, look back with me at 26:4. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. The reason, what does this tell us about the coming Messiah? That all nations are going to be blessed through him. This is the reason we send missionaries to an unreached world. That we take the gospel out because we, we, we do it with confidence. Because we know God is going to raise up an all nations bride for himself. And so here's this repetition. Remind us, no, really. The promises from Abraham coming to Isaac, coming to Jacob, and on, on it goes. Really, he's the heir of the promise. So what am I saying? Genesis 26 is about Jesus. I love saying that. Genesis 26 is about Jesus. Now, let me try to get a little more. That's most basically, but let me try to get a little more specific. Number two is this. So why? Why does God give us this repetition, this this uh, similarity between Abraham and Isaac. Try, if you can, try to see Genesis 26 from the perspective of the original audience, the the uh, the original readers. Try to see it from their perspective. You, you know, you got Israel has been led out of. They were in bondage in Egypt. They've been led out of Egypt by. Moses and God's strong hand. They've been led out of Egypt and they're moving towards the promised land. Try to imagine reading Genesis 26 from their perspective. Try to think about that. They see it. They read Genesis 12 and Genesis 21 and on. They see the similarities between Abraham and Isaac and it gets their attention like it gets your attention. But they see similarities and they make some connections a little bit farther. They make connections even to themselves. Try to think about this. Imagine you're you're a Jew at that time. You're, You're part of Israel coming out of Egypt. And you say, hey, wait a minute. Abraham was driven out of the promised land by famine. Isaac was driven out of the promised land by famine. Well, us too. That's how we got here. We were driven out of the promised land by famine. You remember that? The end of Genesis and Exodus 1. They're thinking, this people of Israel are thinking, us too. We were driven out of the promised land because of famine. That's, that's why we're here too. They think, you know, we too, we were driven out of Egypt by a pagan king with great riches. I mean, read Exodus, and, and right before uh, Pharaoh drives them out of, of Egypt, it says that, that uh, they plunder the goods of all the Egyptians. So they come out of the foreign land rich. They're like, me too. I, This thing with Abraham, this thing with Isaac, me too. This thing with Jacob, me too. This happened to us too. What's going on here? They think we too, you know, we also are headed toward the promised land as the promised seed. We too have these two promises that we're clinging to. They're making these connections. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, us. This, is a, this looks like us. It looks like what we're going through right now. We, too, are fighting Philistines and building altars and calling on the name of the Lord. We're doing the same thing. And as they see these similarities and they apply them to themselves, what, what, what's, what's meant to be the response? What's God doing that for? Why is He showing them that? Why has God designed history that way and record Scripture that way so that the people of Israel, the original readers, see that? Why? So that they would trust God. That they see this and it builds trust in the living God. This is meant to cause them to trust God. Think about it. Obviously, God's planned all this. I'm like reading Abraham, reading Isaac, and it's in our lives. God has planned all of this stuff that we're going through. Everything is working out according to God's predetermined plan. Trust Him. And it's moving them to trust God. Remember the Israelites at that time? The original readers? that were feeling tempted to return to Egypt. They're feeling tempted to return to Egypt. And they read these stories and go, No, don't return to Egypt. Trust God. Don't go back there. I know logic says that makes sense, but don't go back there. Trust in the living God. They feel tempted towards fear you see that author, you know, this original audience, you see them being tempted towards fear, and God says, no. They read Abraham, they read Isaac, they read Jacob, no. Don't fear, but trust God and His Word. Trust His promises, trust Him. They would have been reminded to trust God because His presence is with them. In Genesis 26, we see God's presence with Isaac, past, present, and future. Look at it with me, Genesis 26, verse 4. Excuse me, verse 3. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. God says, Isaac, I'll be with you. That's future. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Look at verse 24. We get this three times. 24. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you present. Future, I'm going to be with you presently. I am with you, he says to Isaac. Go to verse 28. He gets a reminder from a pagan king. They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Past. Past, present, future. God is with you. And you imagine the original readers, the original audience seeing these things and being reminded we should trust in the living God. He's with us. Past, present, future, he's with us. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. You know, why this repetition? Third, third thing I would say, what would be the takeaway from us? We're not the original audience, but what would be the takeaway from up, for us, number three? And the takeaway would be exactly the same. Brothers and sisters, Grace Community Church, trust God. Read this passage, and all of God's Word, for that matter, and trust God. Think about this. Everything is working out according to His plan. Everything. Don't you see in this passage, and other passages, that God is the author of history? He's the author of it all. Imagine for a minute that you're an author. You're writing your own story, you're making up your own world, writing your own own series of events. And, And because you're the author, you have the power to write in at the beginning things that will make sense in light of the end. You're the author. You have the power over your own story to do that. Our God is doing that, but not with ink and paper, but with real people and real events and real circumstances, real storms, real life. Our God is the author of history. Don't you see that here? Trust Him. And that's the takeaway. Trust this God. Trust the author of history. Brothers and sisters, don't give in to the logic of returning to Egypt, but trust God at his word. Don't give in to fear, but trust God at his promise. This is a takeaway for us too. Trust God at his promises. Trust him at his word. As he was with Abraham, that fallible man, as God was past, present, and future with Isaac, that weak man, as God was with Israel, that hard, hard-headed people, so God promises to be with His people. The last words in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 20, is I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age. Brothers and sisters, trust Him. He is trustworthy. Trust Him. I want to leave you with that, and let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to do it. Lord, thank you so much for these. Thank you again so much for these amazing words. God, we're your people. We're your people, Lord, and we want to trust you. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that you would be with us always to the ends of the age. Thank you for the promise that you would never leave us nor forsake us. God, I pray that you would tear down every fear. Tear down every fear in this room with your word with belief, trust in Your Word. God, I pray that You would help us to come through the test of faith and that You would give us the proven genuineness of our faith at the other end that is to the praise of Your glory. God, I pray that You would, you would make us overwhelmed with worship, worship at the glory of Christ. Lord Jesus, you, this promise was given, and You came. And You are the one that strikes the serpent's head. Lord Jesus, You are the one that blesses all nations. You are the one who died for sinners, and Your King forever resurrected alive. Lord, You entered into the land of affliction. The seed went into the ground and died, Lord. And it bore much fruit, and it still is. God, fill our hearts with worship. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.